You're entering Outer Brightness. Hey, Fireflies. Welcome back to Outer Brightness. This week, we have the uh, extreme pleasure of being flies on the wall for a conversation between uh, Michael Flournoy, uh, Michael, the ex-Mormon apologist, and his brother, David. Um, Our initial plan was to have Michael, the elder ex-Mormon apologist, debate Michael, the younger, using old audio. But we figured it'd be better to have Michael engage in a real conversation with a live Latter-day Saints. So we brought in his brother, David, uh, besides Michael, the younger already lost those previous debates. So we didn't want to revisit it, but, uh, David is a Latter-day Saint and Michael and David have ongoing conversations, uh, during their commutes, uh, each day where they discuss, uh, their beliefs. And, uh, I think the conversation tonight will be a good, uh, model for how to show, uh, how to have uh, respectful religious dialogue with family members, uh, even where there are disagreements. So I'm looking forward to being a fly on the wall here. Uh, they have come up with a number of topics that they're going to touch on. Uh, it's not a formal debate. Uh, it's more of a conversation and a dialogue, uh, but they are going to spend 10 minutes on their relationship. Uh, I believe that's with each other, correct? Okay. Uh, yeah. Right. Just wanted to make sure it wasn't like relationship with Jesus. Okay. So they're going to spend 10 minutes on relationship with each other, uh, 15 minutes discussing the Trinity uh, doctrine versus uh, the LDS Godhood, Godhead uh, beliefs, and then uh, 10 minutes on apostasy and restoration, 15 minutes on priesthood authority, 10 minutes on revelation. Uh, Then they're going to hit the main topic of the evening and spend 40 minutes talking about uh, imputation. And then finally, 20 minutes on what it means to be heirs of God. Hope you enjoy this. We think it's a good uh, model of how to have effective interfaith conversations where there is disagreement and uh, still maintain family relationships. So happy to bring that aspect of this conversation to you. Uh, Hope you enjoy. If you want to hear the rest of the conversation, uh, subscribe to Outer Brightness on your favorite podcast app. Uh, So I'm going to uh, step out at this point uh, and just kind of keep time. And uh, I'll let them take it away. So the first topic up is uh, you two discussing your relationship and go. All right. So uh, I ended up leaving the LDS church. Uh, <clears throat> man, it's been five years now since I, uh, since I walked away. And up to that point, you know, I was the first person in our family to ever go and serve a mission. So I was the first elder Flournoy, went out to Anaheim, California, and then David was the only other person from our family that ended up serving. So he ended up following in my footsteps. He also went to California and we've always been really close. I to chime in on that. I think that kind of plays into the dynamic of our relationship a lot as well. Uh, Cause one brother decided they didn't want to go on the mission. The other brother 
couldn't go on a mission because of, of health concerns. He, he wasn't okay because of uh, panic attacks and whatnot. Um, so I remember when I was okay to go, Michael gave me his name tag and he was like, bro, with this name tag, I have seen miracles. And he's like, I'm going to give this to you. And it was kind of the same sort of thing. Like I'm going to go serve a mission. I have this legacy to withhold. And we both had very, some very similar experiences while we were out. Yeah. <clears throat> so it was, uh, Definitely, definitely a bonding thing because out of all my family, David, you're the only one that uh, shares that experience with me of going the whole nine yards um, in the church. Um, I think we're two of the only ones that that got buried in the in the temple as well. Uh, I mean, there's our sister, but and then, and then there's us. So, um, so yeah, there was already a really good relationship there. But uh, when I decided I was going to, to leave the church that I no longer believed in it. You know, I had a lot of anxiety about talking to the family about it because um, the church isn't just a, a set of theological beliefs. You know, it's, it's also a culture. It's, it's an entire lifestyle. And especially when you've got eternal families tied up in there, um, I was really anxious to talk a, uh, to a lot of members of the family about it, um, especially mom, as you can imagine. Uh, but I was really impressed by the way everybody in the family sort of reacted to it, including you. Uh, Cause I remember you just saying like, Hey, I, uh, I disagree with you, but I still respect you. And what's been really interesting is nobody else else in the family uh, wants to discuss theology with me. Um, I've had a few uh, make some emotional pleas to me or, uh, or try to, bear some testimony, <clears throat> but I remember one particular family member, I'm not going to say who, cause this is public, but basically saying he's not going to get into a debate with me because I would win, which first of all, I'm like, it, it doesn't have to be a, a debate, but I've really enjoyed being able to talk to you. So me and David, we, uh, we talk <clears throat> almost every morning. Cause we are also in the same line of work. That's how unified we are. <laughs> um, I mean, we're, he's basically like a clone of me almost. Uh, but we, we have drivers, except with more hair. For now, we'll see. <laughs> you know, I used to brag about my luscious hair, too. So just uh, just wait. Right, uh, but we've been able to have uh, <clears throat> discussions on the phone and even theological discussions and, and talk about things for a long time. And obviously, he's agreed to come here and talk to me tonight. So, David, what am I, what am I doing right compared to other people who talk to Latter-day Saints? Like, why are we able to have this... Really well, I, I think there's a, a lot that goes into it. Like I remember one of our first conversations, it was more along the lines of, like you said, I, I disagree, but I, I respect you. And the other thing was, I, I think I told you, I would have wanted to be there at your baptism. Like, even if you left the church, like I want to, I would want to support you. <laughs> um, I feel like the real kind of clicking moment for us in our conversation was when we decided that we can have a conversation without debating like, Hey, I, I want to understand where you're coming from. Like, what is your, your position on this or what, what really did make you leave? And we ended up just having conversations where it wasn't about a brutal beat down where we just have the Bible and we're turning pages, you know, here and there, this is this, this is that. I mean, occasionally we do as a, Hey, what are your thoughts on this scripture? Well, you know, if we tie that into here, but most of the time when we're talking, we're seeking to understand each other 
And then as we understand each other, we can seek to understand the mysteries of, of God. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's definitely been a couple of moments uh, where it's gotten heated because it's a, it's a topic that we're both passionate about, you know, and I know there, there was at least one time where I was uh, kind of cor- trying to corner you and you're like, bro, I don't like the way you're coming at me. And I'm just like, okay, okay. You know, I just had to like take a minute and be like, I need to let go of my pride because it is a pride thing, I think, because ultimately what I have to remember is like, it, what's the point of like winning an argument if it's going to estrange me from my family and keep me from being able to have conversations with you? And so it's just like, you know, hey, I'm, I'm sorry to, to have this this tone uh, with you. And, you know, it's it's been good because like, yeah, I've slipped, but I think we're able to look past that and uh, give each other some some mercy, some benefit of the doubt. And I think that's why it's a healthy relationship. Yeah. <laughs> are we at the first 10 minutes? Are we ready to, to move on or we can, we, jump, we can jump into the next topic and just go at it for a little while if you want to. Um, All right. So yeah, let me um, just adjust the timer here real quick and I'll give the next one uh, 18 minutes since we've got some additional time. Um, all right. So fireflies, the next topic they're going to discuss is uh, Trinity versus Godhead. And before we jump in there real quick, let me just say um, that was uh, interesting to listen to you talk. You both talk about your relationship and, and what works and what hasn't worked. And um, David, I thought it was really interesting when you pointed out that, that, that there was like a, a clicking point where, where things shifted uh, in your, in your ability to have conversation and, and, what was behind that was um, just the decision to have it not be a debate, but a conversation and really trying to understand each other. I think that's really important. All right. What's interesting too. And I want to, I do want to ask David this too real quick. And I just didn't think of it till right now, but David, I mean, we were able to have really uh, deep, meaningful conversations. And I think that there've even been some shifts in your theological position over time. Uh, I mean, I don't think you knew what imputation was before we started talking. Um, so I'm wondering if, if you can remember there being a point where you, because a lot of members of the church don't want to listen to a single thing that a person who leaves says. So do you remember that point in our relationship where you're like, this guy still has things of value to say or. Oh yeah. Um, so I think one of the, things that meant the most to me when I was talking with Michael is uh, I, I actually really love giving public speak, uh, talks, like doing talks in church and sacrament meetings, stuff like that's one of my favorite things. I mean, obviously I'm probably a little bit more prepared than I am right now. We have a topic, we have an audience. Um, and I feel like talking to a crowd, you now have the ability to receive revelation from God because you are now in charge of his fold. Uh, I mean, you're not going to say this person is a sinner, but you you maybe know how to like get guidance to say a specific thing that's going to really touch somebody's heart. I feel like it's a sacred responsibility to be able to give a talk in church. Uh, so you'll you'll never see me be like, oh man, I saw the bishop giving me a call and I avoided it. I blocked this call. Anyways, passing that, uh, I had accepted a call uh, to give a talk at church, and I was telling Michael. Uh, and I was hesitant because it was about the restoration. So I was hesitant to talk with this about Michael because I knew he did not believe this. And he was like, well, bro, I was, you know, I was a ward mission leader. I was a member of the church. Like, 
go ahead and tell me. I, I, I'm all ears. I want to hear what you have to say and I can give you some pointers. And so I ended up telling him pretty much my entire outline for the talk and what I wanted to say. And, and he gave me some real honest feedback and it, it improved my talk. And it be, that was one of those clicking points where I was like, hey, you know, we are teaching each other. I mean, maybe we're not converting each other, but we are teaching each other. And there is value to be had uh, in conversations, even if he's not a, a member of the church. And, okay. Yeah. I actually didn't, um, I didn't remember that, but what I do remember saying to you uh, kind of recently is like, look, I don't care about being right or being wrong. Like to me, the truth is ultimately what matters. <clears throat> and if, uh, if by some chance the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is true, which I don't think it is, but if it is true, like I want to know, and I want you to have the best argument possible so that you can convince me that that's true. But if it's not true, then I want to be able to share information with you uh, as well. And ultimately what I want is for us to be um, on the same side um, at some point. So uh, and one, one of the other things real quick, I, I know we do need to get into the next topic, but I, I remember relatively soon after you left, it must've been probably, well, probably after a year. I don't think we talked religion for the first, like we talked about it, but we didn't actually discuss it uh, for probably a year or so. And, and uh, I remember having this conversation where I started telling you about some of my spiritual experiences with God um, and how for me, that was a testimony that the church was true. Um, and you had said, bro, like, why didn't you tell me about this? Like, why, why didn't you try to you know, uh, not convert me, but why didn't you share these things with me while I was struggling with the faith? Like nobody in the family reached out with me and, and tried to share things. Um, not that that would have stopped you from going because you had a, a really solid um, doctrinal reason for you that you wanted to leave. But that became a, a point where you're like, I I want you to share things with me. I want you to try. And it kind of goes along to what you're just now saying that the truth is the most important thing to you. So I think you telling me like, I want you to tell me what your thoughts are, what your, your arguments are like that. That meant a lot to me as well. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> this whole thing is totally informal. So uh, I'm probably going to annoy Paul because you know, he's got like this whole like timed outline that I gave him. And now I'm <laughs> going to totally like throw that in the trash. I'm like, no, no, no. We're just having, this is a totally fluid conversation for the most uh, part. No, 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 no. I'm still the moderator, Michael. You've no. lost two points now. On the <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. I'm, I'm losing the debate. I'm down two points. Um, but anyways, as I was saying before, I was so rudely interrupted. Oh my gosh. What was I saying? David, what was, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. David, you said that uh, I had these like theological reasons for leaving and that's true, but I also had spiritual reasons for leaving uh, because I believed, uh, and we can get into this later if you want to, but we don't have to because it's not on the, uh, it's not on our topic list, but uh, I felt like I was having spiritual conversion out of the church and into Christ only. And so it, it is interesting for me to hear you tell me your, your spiritual experiences, but it, it's one of those things where I'm like, uh, I don't think a spiritual experience can outweigh somebody else's spiritual mm -hmm. experience. And so it's like, it just ends in a, a stalemate. And so what we're left with is scripture and, and logic and the reasoning. And so I do enjoy talking about that 
with you and just grateful to be able to, to do that and to have you here on Outer Brightness to talk to me today. So very exciting stuff. All right. So the Trinity, uh, yep. Trinity versus the Godhead. So this has been a fun uh, topic because for Latter-day Saints, anyone that may, well, I mean, your audience is pretty much people that have left the church that are trying to find Christ. Um, so I believe most of the audience knows what it is, but for us, the Godhead is God is the father. Jesus is the son and uh, the Holy ghost is still a spirit. And they're all three separate uh, beings. Um, anyway, so that's kind of been, been my thought. And I had always believed that the Trinity was some kind of gaseous God that was out in the universe somewhere that had no form, but had a form. Uh, and, you know, one of one of my Catholic friends, he was probably 13 at the time, but he explained it to me like an ice cube. And that's not the way that it's supposed to be. But this is the way that I always heard of it, that God can be God, the father. He can be God, the son. He can be God, the Holy Ghost. And so it's modalism, that, Patrick. It, it's modalism, which I now know. Uh, but my whole LDS uh, upbringing, I was like, how can anyone believe this? It is so confusing. It it doesn't make sense. You know, there's so many times where you hear about them being at the same place at the same time. Uh, you know, Jesus' baptism. Jesus is there. Obviously, he's getting baptized. God says, behold, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Ghost descends like a dove. And so we're just like, man, here's all three. Uh, Stephen sees Jesus standing on the right hand of, of God. And there's just multiple instances where there's mul there's different people. I mean, I think the intercessory prayer was uh, one that Michael had taught me back when he was LDS. And that was like, who's he speaking to? Like, is he praying to himself? Um, and so anyways, this was kind of my like, it doesn't make sense. And finally, in one of our conversations, Michael was like, you know, that's not what we believe. Um and I, I've come to find out that what I always thought was the Trinity was modalism. And even evangelicals say that it is a false doctrine. Um, but I'd like to hear kind of what, I mean, I've heard a couple of times what the Trinity is, but I'd like to hear y'all explain it again, if that's okay. Okay. I'll do a really brief explanation and then I'm going to try to use an analogy. And I'm telling you right now, every single uh, evangelical listening to me say this is cringing so hard right now because there is no analogy that you is just lost another two points. Gosh, <laughs> I'm getting pummeled here, and it's from my own speech, it's not even from anything David is saying. Wow, okay, the Trinity we believe that there's only one God, so we're monotheist. Okay, uh, we believe that God is one in being, three in persons. So God consists of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. None of them are the others, and they all exist simultaneously, okay? Um, God is omniscient, omnipresent. He is in all things. Um, I guess I was really, because you and I, David, we throw around, like, I try to, we throw this around, I try to explain it to you, and it, it never really pans out. But it's just one of those things that the human mind can't comprehend. But one of the ways that I heard somebody explain it and I really liked this, is that uh, 
we are human beings. That's the kind of being that we are, right? But your person, your personality is David Flournoy and my personality is Michael. So we are one being uh, with one personality, but God is one being with three personalities. And three personages, because y'all believe that they're three separate. So he's one being, three personalities, three personages, or at least one personage, because the only person that y'all believe has a body is Christ. Is that right? Right. He was the only one that took physical form. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I would say that they are separate from each other because they're not each other. Okay. (laughs) But at the same time, they are one in essence. So they are all God and there's only one God. So it is complicated and it's hard for us to grasp, but that doesn't mean that it's not true. Um, if that makes sense. So I was trying to think of some sort of analogy and it's not perfect. So I'm going to expand on it a little bit, but if you were seeing like those shows where there's one person, like, but they've got different personalities inside of them, like multiple personality disorder. type. Yeah. Thing? Yeah. Okay. Multiple, <laughs> multiple personality disorder. Okay. Work with me for a second here. I've already seen Paul Smarkin. He's about to tell me I lost 10 points. Hold on. I'm going to make that a hundred points. Let me keep going here. Okay, now imagine that all of those personalities can exist simultaneously because usually it's just one at a time, right? Correct. Okay, so now all all the personalities are there at the same time, but they're all distinct personalities. But then, like with a human being that has this disorder, it is confined to that body, okay? But since God is omnipresent and fills the expanse of the entire universe, those personalities can be external from the body of Christ, but they're all the same being, and that's God. That, that so, makes uh, sense. Oh, go ahead. We're, I thought someone was saying something. I thought it was Paul, but then he's muted, so never mind. No, he's just um, shaking his head and staring at me in judgment right now. No, so a lot of what we believe about the characteristics of God are, are very similar. We, you know, we believe that Jesus Christ has a physical body, a resurrected body, but we also believe that God has a physical body. Most Latter-day Saints would say it's a resurrected body. I don't know if I would say that it's a resurrected body, but it's a perfected body. Um, And that the Holy Ghost is just a spirit. Um, So we do believe that God is confined to his body, although he is omniscient. So he's able to know everything that his power and influence is omnipresent, even though he's not as far as Latter-day Saints. I think one of the, the, Good questions that you've asked. And now I'm attacking myself. This is wonderful. I just lost 10 points. It's okay. I was about to give you like some help too. So go ahead and I'll. Oh, no, that's fine. So there's a idea in the church and it has been taught by from the pulpit, but not anytime recently. I mean, initially it was taught uh, from Joseph Smith of the King Fallout Discourse, and it wasn't an official teaching, but then it was taught in general conference, I don't know, like 50 years ago. And that was the saying that as uh, man is now, God once was, as God is now, man can become. And so it kind of gives this idea, correct, that there is this eternal progression and and infinite line of gods behind an infinite line of gods going into the future. And uh, that's kind of this ideology um 
And I think that is the ideas that's accepted by most of the church. Uh, it's not necessarily my position. And I think this is one of those evolving um, perceptions and beliefs that I've had as we've had conversations, because the biggest argument that you guys have had against that ideology, I think our basic concept of the Godhead, there's not too much um, to argue with, except that Jesus Christ was created um, being the son of God. And that's a huge, y'all don't like that at all. And, and I get that. Um, but I think the other thing that I've heard you guys or Michael specifically tell me is, well, who is, who is the first God? Well, you both drink at the same time. That was, that. That was cute. Um, <laughs> so y'all have said, who's the first God? And uh, I would have to say that it is God the father, which leads me to believe that maybe there isn't an infinite progression backwards that he is God, the first God that ever was. But uh, I've, I've rambled on a lot about this. You, you go ahead and take thoughts and ask me questions, whatever you've got. So is that why you said that um, you don't necessarily believe that the father is in a resurrected body? Because for him to have a resurrected body, he would have had to have a mortal experience. And you don't think that happened? I, I don't. I don't know. I, I have a really hard time believing it because one of the biggest things that you've said that has kind of clicked for me was uh, we were talking about Jesus and his infinite atonement. And, uh, you know, in, in my mind, God had had all of his children. They had progressed to a certain point. They're all coming to earth, um, you know, and, and they're, they're sinning, they're learning, they're, they're repenting. And uh, you had made up the, the idea or you told me something along the lines of uh, Jesus's atonement is still taking care of children that God is currently having. Like if God was, cause he's, he's God, he's not changing. He's going to keep having spiritual children. And what if a spirit child that he had at the creation of the earth is just now coming? Or if he just had a spirit child, you know, a thousand years ago, is that spirit child coming to earth? And if he wasn't there, you know, when Christ did the atonement, so it was something along the lines of Christ's atonement is truly infinite. Um, and it made me think like, well, if, if God had to go and was on earth and had to do an atonement, would that atonement not continue on to our generation? Like if that was the case, why would we need a Jesus? Um, so I, I don't know if I completely agree that God had a mortal life like we have had it. Yeah. <clears throat> I kind of remember that conversation. And I think what I was just saying, like, yeah, if, if Christ's atonement is infinite, it has to cover, you know, assuming that there are different generations of spirit children, it would have to cover all of them. Otherwise it's not infinite. It's localized and it is finite because it's just within the boundaries of this generation of God's children. Um, so let me just ask you, this do you believe that heavenly father is married i i do believe he's married but do i believe that he has to have a spouse in order to have spirit children that is a tough one uh because if he always existed how you know how did he get married so we do believe that exaltation for latter-day saints is between a married man and a married woman and that they can continue to have uh progression and what we call eternal life, which is to continue having children. And I think the idea, and it may not be a correct idea, but the idea is 
that we are following the exact same pattern as God and that we will be having children that are spirit children. And one of the conversations that Michael and I had before he left the church was if a physical, if a physical couple were to have a children, a child, and they're both resurrected beings, why would it be a spiritual uh, child? And this is really deep, and I apologize. These are just some of the conversations that, that we've had. Um, and so it, it could be that, yes, there is an eternal progression, but is it going to be the exact same? Like, I, I don't know. And I don't think anybody really does know until it happens. Yeah. One of the things, too, is uh, <clears throat> one of the defenses I've seen for the Trinity is that it says uh, in the Bible that God is love. And love is one of those things that you have to express it for it to exist. There has to be somebody for you to love in order for there to be love. So there had to be another person. God couldn't have been one person and one being since the dawn of before time existed. There had to be others there too. Um, But, you know, it's just interesting to think that there could be some goddess that is also eternal, unless you believe that God created his spouse as well. But the thing then becomes, are there other are there other eternal gods out there or did this spouse have no choice but to marry heavenly father because there was nobody else in the cosmos. So I know you did the the time thing. Uh, I do want to go ahead and throw out some basic defenses for the basic LDS belief. Uh, And these are the defenses that I've used in the past. Um, to some of the arguments uh, about there's only one God, God cannot be created. Um, and, and that is basically, if there was a progression of gods, the LDS position that I've held up until I believe that he was the first, because I, I think that LDS theology can still hold firm with God the Father being the first God. Um, but if there was a progression of God, to make it so that God is not a liar when he says there are no other gods before me, we would have to take into context of what LDS believes that the term God represents, and that is that God is our eternal father. So if God was my eternal father and I'm telling my children, you have no other dad, then that is a true statement. It's not saying that there aren't any other children out there or any other dads out there, but to my children, I am the only dad. So that, I know that's not a strong, strong argument, but for LDS terminology of what God is, um, it, it helped me cope with it. Um, the other ideology is, I know people get really upset with the idea that Christ was created. Um, so the, the deep doctrine, um, is that we all have an intelligence, uh, with us, uh, and that that intelligence is what all uh, matter is created. There's greater intelligences, there's lesser intelligences. The greater intelligence is what becomes living beings. The lesser intelligences are the things to be acted upon, like a rock or grass sort of thing. Uh, but that those intelligences have existed eternally. Um, and so that that is our little I am that is put into our spiritual body when God creates us or when he creates our form as a spirit child, but we existed before. Um, and I know that that doesn't fit the bill completely with 
evangelicalism, but that is how LDS perceived that, yes, he was created as a spiritual child and he's progressed, but he has always existed. Um, but the argument from evangelicals is that he didn't always exist as God, uh, even though he had that God particle in him. Um, anyways, that's kind of my basic defense to mainstream LDS uh, belief on that. Okay. I have to just like talk about that real briefly. Um, okay. Just to give my side on that too. Um, but, you know, there's a point in the New Testament, you'll recall this, where uh, Jesus is resurrected and he appears to the apostles and specifically to doubting Thomas, who sees the, the nail prints in his hands and then says, my Lord and my God. And we don't have Christ correcting him. So, I mean, to me, it, it seems like it, it would be inappropriate to call your brother my father. I mean, if we're using your analogy there, um, and then kind of going into the the spirit children, um, I, I guess just to kind of go more into what my argument would be there, it would be that, you know, if we're saying Jesus is an eternal being and that he always existed as God, you know, even if he sort of had that element as an intelligence, as an intelligence, he was not free to create worlds and to sit on the right hand of the father. And he couldn't even form himself. None of us formed ourselves. We were formed by, by God and in, in theology. And so to me, I don't think that that is something that you can call a God. Um, yeah, I, I do agree with that. So from what I understand of being a member of the church for 30 years, give or take is, and it took me a while. Cause I remember as a kid saying, who do I pray to? And then it was like, Oh, we're praying to heavenly father. We're not praying to Jesus. So LDS official position is that God is God, the father. He, he is God. And the other ones are members of the Godhead, but I don't think until, I don't know at what point they became considered gods, but that God, we, we worship heavenly father. Jesus Christ says all glory goes to the father. Um, so heavenly father is God and Jesus Christ and the Holy ghost didn't always, they weren't always God as far as I can tell in Latter-day Saint theology, but that they became part of the Godhead. And with that, then have all the rights uh, and powers of God to be able to create worlds, uh, to testify to spirit to spirit sort of thing, omniscience, all the above. Um, But I think that that's the only way that it would make sense in the LDS theology is that God is God. And the other two are separate beings that rose to the Godhead, um, and they rose to the Godhead prior to <clears throat> receiving physical bodies. Correct. Because even um, in the Book of Mormon, in reference to Jesus, they called him God, even though he was just a spirit. So I think being in the Godhead qualifies them as God, even if they don't have a perfected body or have children of their own. So is there any reason? Um, let me just ask this last thing and we'll move on to the next topic. Okay. We're going to leave a lot unexplored. I apologize to anybody listening, but we do have a lot of topics to cover here. So um, this is how it happens when we're driving too. We end up just kind of going. I apologize yeah. as well. Yep. And then we end up like having to pick it up in the conversation the next day. So <laughs> uh, is there any reason that, that in LDS theology, you or I could have done the same thing without coming to earth and without their, we, without us going through an atonement? 
process. You mean becoming uh, like a member of the Godhead sort of thing? Yeah, becoming gods. If they can ascend to Godhood as children of, of God, out of the same intelligence that we're made out of, then why couldn't we do it? And technically, we do believe that we can. Um, I mean, the ultimate goal for Latter-day Saints, not necessarily to replace, heaven forbid, but to be like Heavenly Father. I mean, that's for us, that's the whole purpose of life is we're following Christ. We're going to become more and more like God uh, and eventually have a perfected, resurrected body uh, like him. Um, So I know there's a lot to talk about with the book of Abraham. Um, and as far as authenticity and stuff, and y'all have already had that debate on the show and I am not well versed in it, but the, uh, the doctrine that is preached there is that there were, um, other spirits that had become, I want to say God with a capital G, but God with the lowercase G, uh, where they did have power. I mean, you're being taught by heavenly father for eons of time, uh, at some point yeah, you're going to know how to create worlds. And uh, maybe you don't have the authority to do it, but you know how to do it. Um, And so it gives a lot more sway when you start thinking about LDS position of Satan leading away a third of the hosts of heaven. If there are people that are not in the Godhead, but certainly have, you know, sons of the morning or whatever the title might be, um, and they're getting told, hey, you're going to go to earth. You're going to forget everything. You're going to have to walk by faith. I mean, maybe they're a little scared. Uh, and so I, if there were people that had attained near that level, obviously not full Godhood, which we would say is exaltation, having spiritual children with the resurrected body, but having a higher level than just, let's say, a normal spirit. Uh, it, it makes sense that people might be scared of losing that power and want to side uh, with Lucifer, who was, hey, you're not going to have any free will at all, and I'm going to make it so that everyone returns. Um, but the thing with that is Jesus was not presenting a plan to debate. He was presenting Heavenly Father's plan, and Satan was an open rebellion to that. So anyone that he swayed away was not saying, hey, let's just have a discussion. They were openly rebelling against God. So God, as always, is completely justified in squashing that rebellion and and casting them out. Um, But I don't know if that answered. That was a long roundabout answer. I apologize. Uh, Yeah. So let's move on to the next topic. Do we still have time to, to talk about what was next, Paul? Apostasy and restoration. Let's do it. All right, David, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, obviously, you believe that there was an apostasy. I don't believe that there was an apostasy based on what Christ said. Upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I believe that if there was an apostasy, that Christ would have gone against his word to let that happen. That's a good point. Um, so, I mean, you, you're well aware of what most LDS would say is in that scripture. Upon that rock, he had just said, um, whom say ye that I am? And he says, thou art the son of God. Um, and he says, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but uh, my father, which is in heaven, and unto thee, I give you the keys of the kingdom that whatsoever. And I'm just quoting, I don't remember it 100%, but whatever, whatsoever you shall seal on earth shall be sealed in heaven. Um, whatsoever you shall, I don't remember exactly, but divide shall be dev- divided in heaven. 
Uh, and then he says, upon this rock, I shall build my foundation. Um, so he said, Jesus is the Christ. Um, you weren't told this just by seeing me. It was by revelation. My father in heaven has told you it. I give you pretty much priesthood power. Uh, and then you, you know, Peter himself, which we would say is the organization of the church. Um, so, I mean, I, we've talked about this before where most Latter-day Saints would say there's four legs to the table. You take away three, boom, it's gone. Um, really, Jesus Christ needs to be more important than one leg of the table. He's Agreed. the concrete <laughs> that the table is on. Um, so I think it's more realistic to say that the church is a three-legged table that's on top of a concrete patio of Christ if he's the rock of our foundation. Um, but yeah, I mean, we would say all three of those things were lost uh, when the priesthood authority or when the apostles died, the revelation to guide the church was gone. The priesthood authority uh, died with them uh, and the organization of the church, we would say, died with them. I think a, a scripture that goes really well with this uh, principle is uh, Matthew chapter 24, it's kind of one of the end times chapters where Jesus is talking to the apostles. Um, and I might just pull this up here real quick. Uh, some of this is kind of a, a splurge to Latter-day Saints. I mean, not a splurge, but it, oh, where <coughs> crap is it? Here we go. Bro, while while you're looking for that, let me just um, read this passage in Matthew 16, and I'm going to give you my perspective on on it as a writer, as somebody who who deals with literature. Okay, I'm even going to read from the I'm even going to read from the King James version because I'm such a nice guy. Uh, So Matthew 16, Mm -hmm. uh, starting in verse 15. Well, actually, I'm starting verse 13. So Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, saying. Whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? So immediately, the subject in this conversation is Jesus. Uh, And they say, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? So the subject is still Jesus. And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. So the subject is still Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven, the it being the same subject as everything else, right? That Jesus is the Son of God, so that is still the subject. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. So this rock, what has the subject been all the way up until right now? It's been Jesus. So upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The next verse is, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. It is an aside. It's a separate subject at that point. Moving on. Uh, But as long as the rock that the church is built on is Jesus, and there were always people who believed in Jesus, then I don't think that that apostasy could have occurred. Just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, that's a good, I I can see that that is a point for you for sure. Um, So I'm only at negative four now. Negative four. Okay. Um, So, I mean, there are a lot of scriptures that do talk about there being an apostasy. And I think most Christians agree that there either has been an apostasy at some point or there will be an apostasy before the second coming. I think 
Oh, go ahead. Can I, can I just jump in there? And Paul, you can correct me on this if I'm wrong, but I believe that there's lots of apostasy going on. Um, I think there's a lot of churches that are just abandoning the word of God. I think there's progressive Christianity out there and uh, just totally twisting it. There's woke Christianity. There's, uh, what is it called? The uh, Not the get rich quick Christianity, but I forget what it's called now. Prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel. Yeah. And I think that there's just a lot of people just completely going away from God's word, but I don't believe in a, a complete apostasy to the point that it needs to be completely restored. Uh, I believe that there are always going to be true followers of God, but as far as an apostasy, like, yeah, I think that a lot of churches out there are, are facing that right now. I, I like that you said that you don't believe there's been a complete apostasy because even LDS believed that there, there was uh, still truth there. I mean, obviously we would not have Christianity today if there was not just an apostasy with priesthood authority, organization of revelation, but also an apostasy of all doctrine. Um, so, I mean, thank goodness that there was some uh, doctrine preserved, even if they were twisting it at that moment, um, that, that made it all the way through so that Christianity could survive. Um, but to us, priesthood authority and organization of revelation are still big parts of the gospel. Um, so hmm, where to go from here? Well, let me just ask you this. And I, I do want you to go back to Matthew 24, because I totally interrupted your train of thought. But that's fine. If, if a branch came out of your church, um, a new sect of Mormonism, for example, and they just embraced everything that Protestant Christianity already believes in, would you still call them LDS? I apologize. What was the... The question from branch came out. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, it's like, did you say something, bro? <laughs> if a branch came out of the Latter-day Saint uh, church and they said they did something. They believed in all the Protestant beliefs that are already out there. Or even, they say they had a, a system completely similar to Catholicism. Uh, would you still call them LDS? Nope. Okay. And that's already happened. I mean, the Church of Christ was a branch of the church. Uh, got into financial problems and they ended up having to get bailed out by, I believe, the Baptist church. Somebody had to bail them out, but they had to renounce the Book of Mormon. And so they did. And now they're just, a, as far as I know, they're just a Protestant church now um, because they have let go of pretty much everything that made them a spinoff of Latter-day Saints. So they would not be Latter-day Saints. Yeah, so that's why it's a little bit weird for me to hear you say that you still believe that there was truth out there because it's a completely different it's a completely different religion. I mean, I wouldn't even I mean when I was LDS, right? I would have said that we're basically evangelical plus. We believe everything that, that evangelicals believe, and then we have more revelation. That's the only difference. But now that I've crossed over to this side, I don't think that's true at all. I think that we have completely diametrically opposed systems. And what it really comes down to, and we'll get into this later in the discussion, is that we have totally different gospel. And so I don't think you can say like, oh, well, there's still uh, truth out there. I think the more the more honest way to go about it is to say that, you know, Protestant Christianity is just apostate. Uh, I mean, we've got the Trinity and and we believe in salvation by, by uh, grace alone, through faith alone. And so it just doesn't even have uh, 
it this just really isn't similar at all. It's a completely different thing. And and according to your own story, when Joseph Smith went out into the grove of trees to pray, he was told by God that none of them were true. Not that some of them have truth or they're mistaken in a lot of ways, just they're all wrong. That's time. Okay. So if you remember the, the reason that he went into the grove, um, well, yes, it was to find out which church to join, but the whole first part of his story was he was trying to figure out the salvation of his soul uh, and how to know the state of his soul. Um, so my take on that would be that the terms of salvation were not there. Um, and this kind of gets into where we're going to go at later with uh, imputation. Um, But the whole priesthood authority argument uh, and does it need to be restored really breaks down to what is needed for salvation. Right. I mean, that's really where it comes down to, because you're you're right. There are different gospels for me to say, Hey, they still believed in, in Jesus Christ. Yes, that that is truth. They they still believe in Jesus Christ. That follows through. He was the Son of God. Absolutely, that's still truth. Uh, they believe some churches believe that. Hey, you need to be baptized. This and that church breaks off of. I mean, ultimately, the only church that really existed in Christianity for a long time was Catholicism. And I think pretty much anyone except for Catholicism would be able to say that church apostated from what they were supposed to be doing a long time ago. Um, from saying that you can prepay sin to sitting upon the throne and judging as if they were God themselves. Uh, I mean, Protestants split off from them because they didn't believe that they were correct. Uh, so if that was really the only church that came out of Christianity, then I think we could all say that, yes, that had apostated. I mean, would you agree with that? So this is a perfect segue into our next topic, which is... I believe priesthood authority. Uh, Yes. Okay. So this is the same argument that I would make as a Latter-day Saint is that the only other church out there that has any, uh, any sort of argument for being the true church is the Catholic church because they are claiming priesthood authority and claiming that the line was never broken from Peter. And so it couldn't possibly be anyone else. Um, What I've come to understand is there's the Catholic church was not the only church, first of all, that existed. There's also the Eastern Orthodox Church um, that's out there, uh, uh, Coptic Christians. Uh, but but the big thing is that you know you you said it yourself that Protestants broke off from the Catholic Church, and so what that means is that you know Martin Luther didn't uh, go nail his 95 theses to the Catholic doors. And then suddenly, like, everybody just changed their mind about how they feel about how salvation works. Um, these people were already there, and they existed inside of the Catholic Church, um, and they must have existed there because they didn't have huge problems with it. Um, in fact, it wasn't until after the Reformation, uh, the Council of Trent, when they said that somebody who believes that salvation comes by grace alone is anathema. So that was never stated until afterwards. And so I don't believe that the Catholic Church was in apostasy as early as you would would say that the Catholic Church was in apostasy, uh, if that makes sense. And, and the other big thing is, like, we have totally different views on 
priesthood and how that works. And I want to go to a couple of verses here. This is in First uh, Peter chapter two. So he's talking to uh, to believers, okay, to the saints. Um, goodness, is it First Peter or Second Peter? No, I'm going crazy. I had it up, and then I okay, here we go. It is First Peter chapter two. My mistake. Um, but he's talking to um, newborn babes in Christ. So starting in verse one. Uh, wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. So this sounds like uh, pretty new Christians, right? People who are still still having the milk. Mm-hmm. Um, it says, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming is unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, an holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Um, and it says it here in verse 9 too, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so the priesthood here is being associated with newborn babes in the gospel who are still having the milk. And, and in the LDS church, at least, I don't think the Melchizedek priesthood works that way, does it? Well, we don't know if this is talking about Melchizedek priests or not. I mean, we give the Aaronic priesthood to 11-year-olds now, 11 turning 12-year-olds, uh, which I would very much consider those to be babes in the gospel. Um, but uh, if if you're okay with me, or I'll let you finish your thought, and then well, I would like to go, because uh, we were talking about apostasy, uh, priesthood authority, and it really comes down to terms of, of salvation. And so the Latter-day Saint theology of what we need to do to be saved is there's five things in the gospel. It's have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's first and foremost, nothing else. None of the other steps mean anything if that isn't there. Uh, repent, uh, which the word repent doesn't necessarily mean to repent of every single sin, but it means to turn. Uh, so to turn to God, uh, to be baptized by immersion for the remission of sins, to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost uh, by the laying on hands, and to endure to the end. Um, and part of me in my youth thought enduring to the end meant trying to be perfect. But really, to me, that means to endure in, in your faith to Christ. Don't don't deny Christ, pretty much. Uh, so, I mean, it's not super, super challenging. But I, I'm glad that you brought up Peter because that Peter is one of my, my favorite people to go to. In Acts chapter 2, uh, it's the day of Pentecost. And they have this wonderful experience where they're able to now preach. And I believe it's like 14 different languages. And Honestly, it's probably not actually the gift of tongues, but the gift of interpretations of tongues. You have people from all these different nations, and they're all hearing the gospel in their own language. So it's this wonderful outpouring of the Spirit where God is allowing the Word to be to be preached. Uh, but what I wanted to get to is at the end of the chapter, what it was that they asked them to do. Um, because it to me, it sounds almost exactly like the LDS uh, position of what we need to do. So the first, I don't know, for probably 20 verses here, he's teaching about Christ, letting them know that you guys crucified him. He is the son of God sort of thing. Uh, all the way till verse uh, 
And here's 32, Jesus, God raised up, wherefore uh, we are all witnesses, right hand of God, he's exalted. So they're all teaching about Christ, uh, teaches about the atonement, they've been crucified, both and he's both Lord and Christ. Now we go to verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, uh, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of the sins, for remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And I feel like at the end, it talks about enduring to the end. Uh, it does say, and they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Um, anyway, so faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, like what do we need to do? Repent and be baptized, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Um, and I think if we get into what was needed to being baptized, you can go to Acts chapter eight. And this is one of the fun ones. Uh, okay. So while you're looking at that, I, I do want to give some thoughts in before you, um, you get into too many topics. Cause I, I don't want to forget what I want to talk it. about too. But uh, one of the things about that Peter passage that I did share with you is that it never, it never says anything about the ironic priesthood uh, in that passage or the Melchizedek priesthood. Um, you know, I mean, it's really an argument from silence to say, well, that's just talking about the lesser priesthood and not the Melchizedek priesthood, because that's not something you could ever come up with just by reading the passage. It's it's because you're bringing your um, your LDS into it. Um, so there's that. And then in the Acts 2, uh, it does say uh, to be it says a couple of times in there to be baptized for the remission of sins. And just to throw in the way that that we usually read that as evangelical Christians, it's kind of like how you um, you might take Tylenol for a headache. You know, you're taking it because there's already um, a symptom that you have. And so, you know, I've been baptized for the remission of sins. So when I'm when I'm baptized, it's because I've had that remission of sins, not because I'm trying to obtain a remission of sins. If that makes sense. Okay. <laughs> Mostly. Mostly. Gotcha. Um, okay. So into Acts chapter eight, I'm not going to read everything, uh, but basically uh, there's Philip who we believe is one of the 70 that they called uh, to go out and to help. Um, so Seb, Philip's here. He's preaching to people. He baptizes them um, in verse 12. But when they believe Philip preaching, the things concerning the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. Um, and then in verse 14, uh, now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that the Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them unto them Peter and John, who when they come down to pray for them that they might receive the, the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was not fallen upon any of them, only they were, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then 17, then laid they their hands on, on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon, and it talks about Simon earlier being a kind of like a sorcerer, I guess, uh, saw that through the laying on of hands, uh, through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given. He offered them money, saying, Give me also this power that whomsoever I lay hands on, uh, hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. Uh, but Peter said unto him, Thy money perisheth perish with thee because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Um, so if we were to say that 
faith, repentance, baptism, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, and enduring to the end are what it takes to receive the imputed, what I would call the imputed righteousness of Christ for enduring to the end. Uh, it would make sense that it has to be done by priesthood authority or by somebody who he has told to go forth baptizing, which repeatedly he told the apostles that they needed to go forth preaching and baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And here's a situation where one of their helpers, Philip, baptizes, but doesn't have the authority to give the gift of the Holy Ghost. So Peter and, uh, who was it? Peter and, I don't remember, Peter and somebody. Anyways, they came and gave the gift of the Holy Ghost. Um, and it just shows that if this is the case, those things were lost and needed to be restored. Okay. So I got a couple of thoughts. Okay. Um, one, it just kind of struck me as odd that, um, okay, so uh, Philip, I mean, you, you don't believe that Philip had the Melchizedek priesthood? I, I don't. And okay, it could be, well, I personally don't. It could be that he just needed to get authorization from his presiding priesthood authority to for them to get the gift of the Holy Ghost as well. Yeah, okay. It just seems weird that, that he would be sent out there um, without it. I mean, I think the more plausible explanation is that he was just one person and there were a lot of people that needed, you know, I mean, if I was out yes, this is what I would be saying, right? That they need more leadership. And I think it makes sense to send the leaders of the church to come down and, and do that as a whole city sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, man, your arm would get tired baptizing the whole city. Right. So, um, but one thought about, and I'll, I'll move on to the next topic because I see it's, we've hit time here. Uh, but, but Simon, you know, says that he wants to purchase, you know, this, this gift. Um, and he says, your money perish with you because you thought the gift of God could be purchased. So the problem isn't the money or anything like that. I mean, he would have, uh, he would have gotten a reprimand if he'd said, Hey, Peter, I'm going to milk your cows so that you can give me this priesthood. It would have ended up being the same thing. He says, Hey, it's a gift from God. You can't earn it. You can't, you can't buy it with services or with, and I would say that even goes to obedience. You know, if it's a gift, then I don't think that it is something that can be earned in any uh, way, shape or form. And and the other thing I was going to just touch on really briefly is you've got this story too in um, in the Acts chapter 10, where uh, Cornelius sees a vision to go to Peter. Uh, and so Peter goes to the Gentiles and he's preaching to them. And it says that as he's preaching to them, the Holy Ghost uh, enters into the room and they all speak in tongues. Um, and basically says, uh, you know, in verse 47, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we. So he's talking to the other Christians um, and he's saying that they've received, they've received the Holy Ghost just like us. So why shouldn't they be baptized? And so the question is like, why, uh, how could they have received the Holy Ghost without being baptized? And he is, comparing it to the the same way that the believers have received the Holy ghost. Um, so to me, I don't think it's as clear cut as what you're saying. Like there's always, there's not always this pattern of uh, people getting baptized and then receiving the, the Holy ghost by the laying out of hands. Like Peter didn't even put his hands on them. Like the Holy ghost just came into the room and they received the Holy ghost. That is really, really interesting. Um, that is very interesting. I mean, that kind of gets down to uh to like, uh, you have Alma the Younger, you know, when he does his first baptism after repenting, sorry, Alma the, the Elder, after they leave uh, 
King Noah's court and they're preaching the wilderness. They both go down the first time and they both come up. It's just one of those, hey, this is different. This doesn't happen every single time. Um, so I, I guess you're, you're right. There can definitely be situations where it, it is different. Um, I, I did want to bring up the, the point that I, the reason I brought up Acts is because when we're to say, you know, okay, what's the difference between LDS authority, which we consider to be priesthood and evangelical authority, which my understanding on evangelical authority is that it's one, it's the word of God and two, it's, it's the spirit is what you would say gives y'all the authority, right? Yeah, uh, pretty much. Yeah. The word of God. Yeah. Okay. So just trying to make the distinction uh, again, not, not trying to say, bam, I got you or, or anything like that, but just defending again, why there would need to be a restoration. Um, going back to Simon, he, in verse 12, he believed uh, Philip concerning the things of Jesus and he was baptized. Um, so if he was part of that group that were, was baptized, I would say that uh, it doesn't explicitly say it, but it does say Peter and John came and gave the gift of the Holy Ghost by the laying on hands. So I, I would say he got the Holy Ghost from Peter and John. Uh, and then he's asking about something different, which was the ability to actually give the Holy Ghost. So to me, there's, there is a distinction there between um, having the authority to, to baptize somebody and to give the gift of the Holy Ghost to somebody else, uh, as opposed to just having the Spirit. Now, Simon may not be the best example because he was a sorcerer, uh, so he, he might not have actually gotten it. I don't know what y'all's thoughts on that would be. Well, it'll have to be a discussion for another time because we do need to move on to the next topic, okay. whatever that is. We thank you for tuning into this episode of the Outer Brightness Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Please visit the Outer Brightness Podcast page on Facebook. Feel free to send us a message there with comments or questions by clicking send a message at the top of the page. And we would appreciate it if you give the page a like. We also have an Outer Brightness group on Facebook where you can join and interact with us and others as we discuss the podcast, past episodes, and suggestions for future episodes, etc. You can also send us an email at outerbrightness at gmail.com. We hope to hear from you soon. You can subscribe to the Outer Brightness podcast on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Podbean, Spotify, and Stitcher. Also, you can check out our new YouTube channel, and if you like it, be sure to lay hands on that subscribe button if you like what you hear, please give us a rating and review wherever you listen and help spread the word. You can also connect with Michael the Ex-Mormon Apologist at FromWaterToWine.org, where he blogs, and sometimes Paul and Matthew do as well. Music for the Outer Brightness podcast is graciously provided by the talented Brianna Flournoy and by Adams Road. Learn more about Adams Road by visiting their ministry page at AdamsRoadMinistry.com. Stay bright, Flyerflies. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God, the Word made Heaven and earth will pass away
Yeah. 